0: That's what the scripture will show us if we know it well and if we read it carefully. But the reality is we're never going to see that big picture and understand how the Bible fits together as a coherent whole, finding its fulfillment in Christ. We're never going to know that stuff if we never read it.
1: You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. And today we continue a message from the book of Galatians where we look at the topic of slipping into slavery. But before we get there, Jonathan, uh, you point out that we need to be in God's Word. And as we do, one of the things that sounds like you're pointing out is we're going to see that the Bible is not just a collection of little stories, but it's actually God's story from beginning to end.
0: Well, that's absolutely right. You know, we've, we've said previously on these broadcasts that the Christian gospel is a simple thing A a child can understand the gospel and receive salvation through faith in Jesus, as many, many children have, of course. But the truth is that there's so much to discover of what God has made known through his word. There's a lifetime's worth of discovery and more. And if we're not in the Bible, reading the Bible, discovering for ourselves what the storyline is and how it all fits together and points to Christ, we're missing out in a big way. And I'll say as well, for those who are considering the faith, exploring the faith, there is nothing better you can do than go to the primary source text yourself, get hold of a Bible, read it for yourself, see what God is saying in his word, and have your own engagement, not a second-hand engagement. And I think you'll find it rich. I believe you'll find it life-giving.
1: I think there are a lot of people maybe who have tried to do that, but they've maybe turned to a point in the Bible where they don't understand the context or it's uh, a difficult passage to understand. For someone who maybe is open to exploring the Bible for the first time, where would you have them start?
0: Well, I think reading one of the Gospels is a great thing to do where you encounter the person of Jesus in his ministry. And you follow his journey, and you see his engagements with different people, and you can almost place yourself in some of those engagements with Jesus, listening to the word of Jesus, and have a real sense of meeting with Jesus. I'd encourage you to do that. But I think as well, as you read the Bible for yourself, having some other resources available that might give some context and a little bit of help in terms of understanding, I think that's a great thing. And that's one of the things we want to be able to do here at Encounter the Truth.
1: Well, we hope you'll open your Bible right now to the book of Galatians. We're in chapter 4, looking at verses 8 to 31 today. So join us there as we continue a message called Slipping Into Slavery. Here is Jonathan.
0: Paul wants to remind us that we are a people who know God and who are known by Him. There is a relationship there. There is a privilege. There is an intimacy. And Paul asks in sheer bewilderment, How is it that you're turning back? How could you? Why would you? We all know that religion is maintained by religious practice, by rite and by ritual, by repeating the right words, by giving the right offerings and doing the right things. That's religion. But the believer's relationship with the Father is sustained and it grows as we get to know Him better and better through His Word. As we hear him speak to us through the scriptures, as we listen to his voice, as we deepen our understanding of who he is, it happens as we spend time in prayer, speaking to him, pouring out our heart, expressing our dependency, confessing our sin, delighting in his forgiveness. That's the heartbeat of the Christian life. That's the reality. That's how it goes. And as that relationship is healthy and growing, Well, slipping back into slavery, it seems unthinkable. We could never imagine doing it. It's less of a draw. It's less of a danger. And so let let me ask you, knowing that that's true, how is your relationship with the Lord at the moment? Is it healthy? Is it growing? Are you investing time, time in the mornings in His Word, time in prayer, listening to Him, speaking to Him, knowing Him, and being known by Him? Knowing God, that's the first essential in standing firm in the gospel. And here's the second one, knowing God's servants. We all know that the internet has revolutionized our lives, making it possible to do a great deal online that needed to be done in person before. We've spoken about that. This is especially true, I think, in the area of education. Online education has moved very quickly from the margins of educational practice a decade ago to the very mainstream today, and it's happened so quickly It's now estimated that over a quarter of Canadian university students take their courses online. Given that we can do so much remotely and online, it would be very easy for us in our day and age to imagine that learning Christ and growing in Christ is something that we can do on our own, something that we can do remotely from the comfort of our own home without the inconveniences and the costs of traveling to meet together, without sometimes the burdens of having to engage with people we might find a little bit difficult. There are plenty of Christians out there who are going down this road and uh, moving in this direction over the last 10 years or so. A number of major online churches have been established, the largest of which draw in tens of thousands of participants every week. You can listen, you can give, you can sing along, you can even join a virtual community group all from the comfort of your sofa, wearing your favorite pajamas wrapped up in your favorite duvet. Many have found that idea very attractive. But it's not actually the only non-traditional model of church on the marketplace. My my favorite example of a model of non-traditional church is actually one we encountered while on a family vacation down in Florida. During our time down south, we had become quite accustomed to the American sort of drive-through lifestyle, Drive through banks, drive through restaurants, drive through pharmacies, drive through Starbucks. But one particular drive through took us a little by surprise, and I think there's a picture of it. Our hotel was located almost directly opposite the local drive through church. (laughs) Apparently, as you enter the property, you drive by a little kiosk that looks like a Tim Hortons serving window, and there you get your uh, bulletin and you get your communion to go pack. I'm not kidding. You then tune in your radio to a broadcast where you can hear the sermon, and then you drive up to the main building where there's another picture there, there's a kind of balcony. The pastor stands out up on the second floor there. You hear his voice by radio. You don't have to get too close. You then, uh, when everything's done, you get a pastoral handshake through the window, and you go on your way to pick up your McDonald's, attractive as it might be to do church without the complications of actually having to engage with one another, without the messiness of community life, and it can be messy, the Bible simply doesn't give us that option. It doesn't give us that freedom. We don't learn Christ by distance education. We don't live as His disciples on our own. It's not a solo game. We don't grow by our own private wisdom and effort. We learn as others help us understand we grow as our brothers and sisters encourage us and challenge us. That's the way it is now, and that's the way it's always been. That's why we're here together today. For the Galatians, their Christian life and Christian growth was closely tied up with their relationship with Paul. They learned the gospel from Paul, and they learned the model of the Christian life from him as well, from his personal example. And as they've gotten themselves into a little bit of trouble now, as we see in the Galatian letter, well, that has happened actually as they have drifted relationally from the apostle Paul, from their mentor, their teacher. Verse 15, What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? The Galatians are now treating Paul with skepticism because he teaches them the truth, the true apostolic gospel. They're they're skeptical because the false missionaries who have come in have made them skeptical of Paul and his gospel. And Paul wants them to see the reality of what's going on. Verse 17 these people are zealous to win you over, but not for good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. The false missionaries, the legalists, the circumcision party, they are trying to distance the Galatians from their teacher and their mentor in the faith that they might distance them from the apostolic gospel that Paul proclaims. It's a clever strategy, It's a tactical move, but it highlights a key lesson for us. The nature of the Christian life is fundamentally relational. We live and grow as followers of Jesus Christ in relationship with others, as we learn from our leaders, as we learn from one another, as we're kept accountable in community life. But if those relational bonds are damaged and loosed, we become in increased danger of distorted doctrine and distorted living. And actually, when a believer wanders into theological error or a compromised lifestyle, there's always relational fallout. Have you ever noticed that? People don't wander away theologically, but then just keep up all their relationships within the church family, just as they always were. We live the life of faith in community alongside brothers and sisters, in relationships of encouragement and accountability. And if we wander away, we have to loosen those relationships. Sometimes we've got to smash right through them because the rebuke is too strong. And so those relational bonds, they act as a guard for us. They're part of our security. They're part of God's good design for how we're to live the Christian life. So here's a question for us, for each one of us. Are we immersed and are we engaged in Christian community, in vibrant Christian community? Do we have good and real and open and honest relationships with brothers and sisters here in the church family, particularly with brothers and sisters who are actually a little bit further on in the Christian life than we are, a bit more mature, Do we have the kind of relationships where believers will have an opportunity to instruct us, to encourage us, to keep us accountable? Are you personally engaged in some kind of a smaller group, a men's group, a women's group, a community group, part of the youth ministry? Do you have other believers in your life who really know what's going on and who can speak into your life? And on the other side of the coin, are you intentionally building into other believers in this way, particularly into younger believers, those less far on in the Christian life than you are? Are you giving time and energy, perhaps, to being a mentor and a prayer and an encourager to others, even as Paul was here? And if you're not, where is your opportunity at the moment? Where do you see an opening, a person you could come alongside? and minister to them. It's worth saying that these kinds of relationships are costly. They are costly. There is relational investment needed on both sides, and there will be a cost in order to make this work. Notice how costly it was on both sides here. For the Galatians, actually, it cost them relationally. Paul says, even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were Christ Jesus Himself I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Paul evidently came to the Galatians in a time of personal weakness. He wasn't some impressive traveling preacher with the world at his feet. No, he was weak, and he was ill. He came to the Galatians as a needy person, and they could have been scornful. They could have been dismissive. They could have said, send us someone more impressive, and yet they treated him like Jesus himself. There was a devotion, there was an appreciation, there was an affection. And from Paul's side, there was a cost here too. Notice how he's invested heart and soul into the spiritual well-being of these Galatian believers. Verse 19, my dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now. He's longing for them, he's concerned for them, he's pleading with them that they might come to their senses, but it's on his heart.
1: This is Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. Our message today is called Slipping into Slavery. And it's part of our series in the book of Galatians, where we're taking a look today at the fact that Paul is calling us to stand firm in the gospel, looking at those three essentials from Galatians chapter 4. We're going to continue this message in just a few moments. But I want you to know if you ever miss a broadcast, come to the website. You can always listen online. You can download the program or simply stream it through your computer or mobile device. Our website address is EncounterTheTruth.org. That's EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, if you did join us a little bit late, we're in the book of Galatians, chapter 4, looking at verses 8 to 31. So join us there as we get back to the message. Again, here's Jonathan.
0: I don't know if you've ever spent any time doing any serious mountain hiking or mountain climbing. I had a summer in Austria doing that during my teens. It was a a stretching and a sometimes quite terrifying experience, actually. I don't really like heights. But I was maybe the wrong choice of a summer activity. Um, But I was very glad at key moments to be with a group of friends, a, a team, who could be of help in those precarious moments. There were those moments, those dangerous moments, those precarious moments when the hand of a team member was really all that was keeping one of us on that mountain, keeping us safe. There were moments when the rope attached to a team member was the thing that kept you suspended above the ground. We need each other if we're going to stand firm in the gospel of grace and not drift into error, not drift into legalism not lose our joy. Finally, to stand firm in the gospel, we need to know God's Word. Verse 21, "'Tell me, you who want to be under the law, are you not aware of what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one born by the slave woman and the other by the free woman. His son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way, but his son by the free woman was born as the result of promise. Do you know what the law says?' Well, the story Paul refers to here is actually fairly familiar. Any person of Jewish descent would know the story and probably the Galatians knew it too. God promised Abraham a great family as numerous as the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. God would bless that family and He would bring salvation blessings to the world through them. But there was a problem. There was a significant problem. Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they were childless. They couldn't have children. And with no children, God's promise of a great family wasn't going to happen. So, Abraham and Sarah came up with an alternative plan. To help God out in his non-delivery of his great promise, they decided that Abraham would have a child by their servant, Hagar. It all seemed to work out quite well, actually. Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. There was a child, so the promise could be fulfilled. But after Ishmael was born, Sarah herself conceived, and Isaac was born. Two women, two children, one promise. What's going to happen now? The story is familiar. On one level, in answer to Paul's question there, yes, we do know what the law says. But Paul pushes back a little, and he says, do you really know? Do you really understand the significance of the story and the principle it teaches us? Verse 24. These things may be taken figuratively, for the women represent two covenants. One covenant is from Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem because she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem that is above is free, and she is our mother. Paul is doing something pretty remarkable here. He's actually making a bit of a subversive and a shocking move. The Jewish teachers who would have pushed the Galatians to be circumcised to keep the Old Testament law, they would certainly say that they knew the law. They would certainly say that they knew that story, and I think they would have a pretty clear sense that they knew what it was about. But they would never in a million years make the associations that Paul is making here. They would never in a million years associate Hagar, the slave woman, with great Mount Sinai, where the law was given. They would never in a million years associate Hagar With the great city of Jerusalem. Now, if they were going to make any connection with this story, it would be this. Sarah represents Mount Sinai and Jerusalem, and Hagar represents the Gentiles, the unsaved, the outsiders, the outcasts from the promises of God. But Paul dares to claim, he dares, in fact, to insist that if you really know the Scriptures, if you really understand where they're headed, you will see and you will accept his connection. You will see that Jerusalem and Sinai and Hagar go together, and you will see that we believers in Christ, Jew and Gentile together now, we go with Sarah. Watch yourself, Paul. Be a little bit careful what you say. It's a big move. It's a bold move, no question. And to be fair, it does require a bit of explanation the connection between Jerusalem and Hagar, it isn't immediately obvious to us. That does need to be said. And Paul knows it too. He introduces the point with actually the acknowledgement that he is using the story figuratively. Verse 24, it's a figurative reading of the story. He is using Sarah and Hagar as symbols of something wider. But even though it is a figurative reading, it is nonetheless a legitimate one as well. And here's why. Abraham's decision to have a child by Hagar was fundamentally a decision to bring about God's salvation plan, to attain God's salvation blessing by human means and through human ingenuity. That's what he was doing. God had promised something. It didn't seem like God was delivering on His promise, and so Abraham and Sarah took matters into their own hands. Have a child by the servant. Easy problem solved. Never mind the covenant of marriage, never mind the dignity of Hagar, a quick solution. The story of Abraham's action with Hagar is actually the story of worldly religion. It is the story of do-it-yourself religion, of human-centered, man-made religion. I must work this thing out for myself. I must achieve God's plans for him. I must call down his blessing through my own ingenuity and my own initiative." But of course, God looked down on the travesty of what Abraham and Sarah had done, and in His grace and His mercy, He swept aside their pathetic attempts to work things out in their own terms. And instead, God steps in and personally fulfills the promise on His own terms, in His own way, at His own time. He kept His promise. He achieved salvation two stories, two women, two children, two types of religion. That's what we're seeing here. And what Paul wants to tell these Gentile Christians, outsiders who have put their trust in Christ, what he wants to tell them is simply this, verse 28, you brothers like Isaac are children of promise. You may be a Gentile, you don't need to be circumcised, but as you believe in the promises of God, you are a true child of God. You're an heir of the promise. When Paul asks in verse 21 whether the Galatians are familiar with what the law says, the key thing is not whether they know the outline of the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. The outline of the story isn't the key thing. Lots of people will know the outline of the story and not understand what it signifies. No, the key thing is to know the bigger outline of God's salvation plan. The key thing is to know where all the stories are heading, where they point us, where they find fulfillment. And Paul is showing us here that the whole shape of the Old Testament scriptures, the whole shape of the narrative teaches us that we cannot earn our own salvation and we must never try to do so. The whole shape of the history of Israel is teaching us that God will provide salvation and we must trust his word. That's the shape of the story. That's what the Scripture will show us if we know it well and if we read it carefully. But the reality is we're never going to see that big picture and understand how the Bible fits together as a coherent whole, finding its fulfillment in Christ. We're never going to know that stuff if we never read it. If research into Christian Bible reading habits bear any relation to reality, and I expect they do. The fact of the matter is many of us are not investing a great deal into knowing the Scriptures and hearing God's voice on our own. A study by LifeWay Research a few years ago found that only 45% of regular churchgoers read the Bible more than once a week. One in five churchgoers never read it at all. And maybe for some here, I don't know what the reality is in your life, maybe for some of us here, this is just the reminder and the little nudge we need Life is busy. Life is stressful. We're overwhelmed by all kinds of stuff, and God's Word has just been squeezed out a little bit. It's happened over time. It's happened gradually, but there is quite a lot of dust on the Bible at home. And maybe today that is just the encouragement to take away. We need to know the Word of God. We need to be immersed in it because it is our guard that we might stay rooted firmly in the gospel of grace three essentials. If we're going to stand firm in the freedom we have in Christ, we need to know God. We need to know God's servants, and we need to know God's word.
1: This is Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths as he wraps up our message today called Slipping into Slavery. Really a look at Galatians 4, verses 8 to 31. I hope that you're being challenged and encouraged by what you're hearing during this series called Jesus Plus Nothing, the study of the book of Galatians. And if you ever miss a broadcast, you can always come to the website and listen online. But it's your generosity that makes this teaching available on this station. To those of you who have given a gift of support, thank you for doing that. And as you give a gift this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book written by Vaughn Roberts. It's called True Friendship. It's simply our way of saying thank you for your financial support this month. You can give online when you come to encounterthetruth.org or you can call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 833-998-7884. Or if it's easier, you can always drop a check in the mail. Our address is Encounter the Truth, 2176 Prince of Wales Drive, Ottawa, Ontario, K2E 0A1. And make sure you ask for the book, True Friendship. Well, thanks for listening today and supporting the ministry. For Jonathan and our producer, Mark Breda, I'm Steve Hiller. I hope you'll join us next time.